You are listening to a Laison Lumineur podcast. Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Laison Lumineur. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. This occasional series records our lectures and gallery talks, insights from new publications, and interviews with collectors and scholars. Our aim is to offer an ever-wider public tools for learning about the diversity of our activities and the breadth of our interests. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. This is Sandra Hindman. I am here today in London with Beatrice Shador Sampson, the internationally known jewelry historian. And we are here to talk about her new book, which is called Power of Love, Jewels, Romance, and Eternity. It came out in this September 2019 by Unicorn Press. Beatrix, welcome. Welcome. Can you tell us something about the background of this amazing book that uh, is beautifully published, many, many color pictures? Well, The Power of Love is a, a very popular topic, and there have already been two versions of this book, but very different ones. Uh, one in the 90s appeared and one in 2002, but mainly just about diamond rings, the, the sort of ring that one uh, thinks of love and associates with love. But this book is uh, the third version, completely different. It covers, uh, first of all, the Egyptian heart as a center of sentiment, up to this uh, engagement rings of Victoria Beckham and bio jewelry. So very, very different type of book. It shows the power of love in paintings as well as in jewelry, mainly jewelry, but through the uh, centuries from Roman antiquity onwards. Today. I think I should say that Beatrix is in many ways an obvious choice to do a book like this because she's worked on um, jewelry really from Roman antiquity up until today. She wrote a book called Schmuck on the Cologne Museum jewelry collection. She's been curator at, of the Alice um, and Louis Koch collection for many years, decades even, a new book on that collection has also come out, and many, many other publications. So that's a little bit about her background and why, um, why she was chosen and, and how much other information she'll bring to bear in this book. You mentioned that the time span is very broad. I think also, um, I've read the book with great interest, of course, I think also the types of jewelry and rings are quite broad from gold, silver, different stones. Can you tell us a little about that? Jewelry is very important to look at all the materials because there were clients who could afford more and others who could afford less. So you have anything from gilt bronze to gilt silver, always should be looking gold. Gemstones have a lot of uh, symbolism to them, very different in different centuries, but it's all about centered around love, if it's passionate love, romantic love, even erotic love, gemstones are always good for symbolizing love. And, and not just diamonds, as I understand Diamonds it. is something that we really have evidence of. It may have been a little bit earlier, but we do have evidence 
from the late 15th century, the an engagement ring was given to uh, the Duchess, oh, what's her name, Mary? Mary of Burgundy. Mary of Burgundy uh, married the Emperor Maximilian I, and she had uh, given to her an engagement ring uh, with studded with diamonds with her initial M. So there we have the first uh, historical ring that we can associate with uh, an engagement. But diamonds then continue well into the Renaissance period and often in combination with rubies. And this is a classical. If you look at portraits of the Renaissance period and later, diamonds were symbol symbolic for virtue and constancy and rubies were a symbol of uh, Venus and love. So we that, never, is, was, <laughs> that is the classical combination that you find from the 16th to 18th century at least. Yeah, we never hear that rubies are a uh, girl's best friend, do we? We only hear that diamonds are, but maybe rubies were too, right? I think we might not need to write a book about that. <laughs> there. Rubies uh, certainly were uh, a girl's best friend. Now Maybe it's, with a splattering of diamonds. <laughs> yes, there. Now, it's, it's difficult to talk about um, love and the power of love without talking about the origins of marriage. You already mentioned um, Mary of Burgundy's engagement. But what do we know about marriage and the ring? The first wedding rings, or not really wedding rings because they didn't have wedding ceremonies, the ancient Romans, it was more betrothal. It was when the family agreed the marriage between the two families. Uh, then a ring was given as a commitment, as a sign of promise of marriage. Very different to the, what we know today, in a way. But the, the rings were, had symbolic classical uh, stone or engraved in gold, or the right hands that are clasped, a theme which we find well into the Renaissance and even in the 19th century. Uh, the right hand was symbolic of Fides, meaning loyalty, the goddess of loyalty. And so the right hands. But you also have wonderful Roman rings, simple gold rings, with inscriptions on them saying, have a prosperous life together, wishing you good luck. And these were the uh, wedding rings of that period. Mm. And it's very interesting because a lot of the things we associate with bridal veils and stag nights and all these typical uh, rituals that we know today, actually the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans already had, especially the bridal veil even goes back to the ancient Greeks. And you trace the power of love chronologically in this book, don't you? Starting um, with the ancient Egyptians who didn't talk about love, but they loved their amulets. So they had an amulet, heart-shaped amulet, which protected the heart and this was the center of all sensation for the ancient Egyptians. So it was a protective amulet for the heart and feeling sensation. What about the, um, I'm a medievalist of course, so I'm um, intensely interested in the Middle Ages. What are some of your favorite examples of medieval love rings? Um, either types of rings or specific jeweled pieces apart from Mary of Burgundy's enchanting engagement ring. Then we have to talk about posy rings, which I know is your specialty as well. Uh, the rings are simple gold bands that have either symbols on them on the outside. In the early 50, in the 15th century, you had these type of posy rings based on the name posy, which have love inscriptions. The earlier examples have the inscription on the outside. When we come to the 16th, 17th century, the love dedications are inside the hoop of the ring, which means only known between giver and recipient, so a secret bond of love.
And uh, yeah, posy from poesy, as you said, um, not posy of flowers. No, I'm glad you rectified that. And, and you have that also with ring brooches, which were very popular ring brooches to give to your loved one. Uh, they weren't always to do with marriage, but also your secret lover. So you'd have at the back of a ring brooch uh, saying, I'm here instead of your friend. And uh, the ring speaks. The ring speaks in, in, as a brooch as well as a ring on your finger. And I think I'm right that posy rings have um, quite a presence in Shakespeare as well. They are mentioned and quoted in Shakespeare. I think you probably know the story of Shakespeare better than I do. Because <laughs> this uh, posy rings are really your special. I think my favorite Shakespeare posy ring quote is, is this a prologue, my lord, or the posy of a ring? I, I knew I should ask you. <laughs> and I think the response is, Tis brief, my lord, <laughs> like woman's love. Perfect. So, po yeah, posy rings are interesting. They are a, a very specifically English um, phenomenon, really. There are posy rings in other languages, but... But more the earlier ones. I think by the 16th, 17th century, it is an, uh, a British phenomenon. Um, we mentioned something about your adult background in the beginning of this podcast. But I, of course, have known you for a very long time, so I am privy to some details about your background in the jewelry trade from a very early moment. Uh, some of that comes up in the book, even. Can you, tell, can you tell people what I'm referring to? I think you might be referring to a charm bracelet that belonged to Vivian Lee. When I was looking for Vivian Lee's uh, love ring from Sir Laurence Olivier, her husband, I found during a, in the auction that were where the ring was sold, looking for details, I suddenly came across a charm bracelet and I s was stunned to realize uh, that Vivian Lee was wearing a charm bracelet with a charm that was designed by my father in New York. So your father was a jeweler? Not a jeweler. He started in Cuba. He sold gemstones, imported and exported gemstones. And of course, in Cuba, stones and jewelry were more important than your settee or furnishings for a marriage. Jewelry was far more important. And uh, he even learned how to cut diamonds in Cuba and then had a business for gemstones. And there's a photograph of me sorting out gemstones, probably at age three and a half. Wow. And then we moved, uh, after the Cuban Revolution, we moved to New York and he uh, founded a, fa a company called Shadua Charms Inc. So I spent my m majority of my holidays helping him uh, with the charms which he designed and had cast and then set the stones in himself. So I was doing that and then we moved to Frankfurt, Germany where my father ran a company for pearls and that's when I c was confronted with a lot of work with pearls, stringing pearls when I was a teenager and I was also known to make pearls, pair pearls, you have to sieve them by a quarter of a millimeter and then pair them for earrings. And you cannot imagine how many different colors iridescent in a white pearl. So that was my background. And when I was 18, I said, I don't really want to do anything to do with jewelry ever again. <laughs> and then I studied and worked on an Italian goldsmith, Antonio Gentili da Faenza. And because of my jewelry background and my work on a goldsmith of the Renaissance period, I was asked by the Museum of Decorative Arts in Cologne to um, catalogue a collection 
which covered 5,000 years of jewelry history. And that's where my love began for the antiquity, because a lot of the jewelry that is in antiquity, you find again motifs that result out of antiquity. So it's a fascinating to have the overview. And then after I then got deeper and deeper into jewelry and became curator of the Alice and Louis Koch collection of rings and worked for two generations of four that owned this private collection, which is now in the Swiss National Museum in Zurich on view 1,500 rings. Yes, this and is a topic was, for another podcast. I was I think, a curator for 35 years. <laughs> it's an extraordinary um, collection, an extraordinary story. So that's why I enjoy working on rings for Les Illumineurs. Yes, um, I should say that, full disclosure, that Beatrice <laughs> Dora Sampson is our in-house jewelry expert, and we're very happy to have her with her vast um, experience. I want to go back a little bit to the power of love. You mentioned some of the modern, more modern parts of it, like the Vivian Lee charm bracelet. I was especially interested and struck by the ending of the book where you discuss this bio jewelry project. I'm sure our listeners probably don't know most of them what bio jewelry is, but can you explain what this is and what this has to do with the power of love? Well, it's the most personal ring you can have, actually, <laughs> because uh, you take DNA from your dental, um, from the mouth, and in a lab you grow this material, this bio material, from your own DNA of your partner. Then you can, it forms a ring and you can put some silver on it or gold. So you have the most personal present of your partner wearing their DNA, uh, which you exchange. It might for some seem rather strange, but you can't get more personal than that. For sure. Um, well, thank you very much. What, um, what is your next project, your next book project um, after Power of Love? Do you have a little preview of something you want to share with our listeners? I have a little preview. Sandra, you know very well. <laughs> I'm working it was together. a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working with you on a catalogue of Renaissance and Baroque jewellery, very much to do with courts of Europe and how the influence was, from Spanish influence, Italian, to the French styles of the uh, 17th century. So that's just a little taster to make the here is curious. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. Um, I encourage everyone to go out and get a copy of Power of Love, Jewels, Romance, and Eternity. It's a great read. And it's got the pop stars in there as well. Got, Not only the history. <laughs> there are pop stars, um, popular culture, Egypt and Rome and the Middle Ages, even Shakespeare, as you already heard. So thank you, Beatrix, very much for joining us today. And until next time to our listeners of the Les en Lumineur podcast. This has been a Les en Lumineur podcast. I'm Keegan Gepfert, Vice President of Les en Lumineur. Up next, we will be in New York for both the winter show at the Park Avenue Armory from January 23rd to February 2nd. And we'll have a special exhibition called It's a Personal Thing, Collecting Illuminations, as part of Master Drawings Week, New York, from January 24th to February 1st. Hope to see you. 
You can reach us online through our website, laysonlumineer.com, or through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You are always welcome to visit one of our galleries in New York, Chicago, or Paris during our exhibitions, or make an appointment with one of our specialists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.